welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 3-1 win over Aston Villa. Traore gave Villa a 24th-minute lead, but United, being the comeback kings that they are, they pulled off their 10th Premier League comeback win of the season, tying a league record. Bruno Fernandes, 52nd-minute penalty, Mason Greenwood in the 56th, and Cavani wrapped it up in the 87th. Carl, how are you feeling after that win? Well, 31 points from losing positions, Vivek. I'm feeling pretty good about it. That, uh, As Michael Owen pointed out, that's almost half of our points tally. And, you know, a lot of a lot of pundits, and I would say including myself, we're like, okay, this run has got to end at some point. Yet, we're at the tail end of the season and it keeps going on. So, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that. It goes to show the spirit and camaraderie within the squad. Something that might have been missing a couple of seasons ago, so we've definitely made progress in the right areas. What about you, Vivek? I'm feeling good. I was curious to see how United would line up. Obviously, this is a big stretch of the season with three matches in five days, and you've got Leicester and Liverpool to come. So I was curious how Ole would approach this match. You look at the starting lineup. Obviously, on the Aston Villa side of things, they go with their traditional 4 2 3 1. Jack Grealish is still missing, so that's a big loss for them. But for United, obviously, they're 4-2-3-1. You expected Dean Henderson to come back in for the league fixture. Full strength uh, at the back, the back four. You got Fred and Scott in the defensive midfield roles. And then I guess the only big name that was missing was Edinson Cavani, who we saw right at the tail end come in and do his thing anyway. Any surprises for you looking at the fixtures? Were you saying, okay, prioritize Leicester and Liverpool? Or were you saying, hey, win this match so now you can put yourself in a position to take it easy a bit later? Vivek, that was uh, quite the conundrum. I was thinking about it. I was going to pose the question to you as well because you've got three games in five days and we all know that the where the priorities lie. It's with the Europa final on May 26th. So thinking about all of those things, I was of the opinion that if you get the three points here and you can wrap up the second place finish, which isn't a done deal, by the way, but we're in a very good spot. I think now you can start to take your foot off the gas. And then if I I put my United goggles on 100%, I might even drop some points against Leicester to make sure they fill that top four spot. And uh, then when it comes to Liverpool, we can drive the final nail in the coffin by uh, by taking three points off of them. That that would be the ideal scenario for me. I know I'm being a little biased there. Carl, I think that's an interesting talking point because for me, I'm wondering which is more of a flex, sealing the points as they did here against Aston Villa, then maybe possibly picking up three points against Leicester City, which would pretty much guarantee second place, and then being able to go into that Liverpool fixture at Old Trafford and say, hey, this doesn't mean anything to us. So here is our B team for you to contend with. <laughs> that that would be rubbing salt in the wounds, wouldn't it? <laughs> but I think, you know, knowing Ole and United flowing through his veins, I can't see him putting anything other than a strong team against Liverpool and driving that final nail in the coffin, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, that's fair enough. And... To be honest, it looked like United were looking to you know, drive some nails in the coffin early in this one. I thought it was a very encouraging start. 
Uh, I, th- I thought Paul Pogba was pulling the strings beautifully. Everything seemed to be coming off his foot, whether it was, you know, teeing up Shaw for crosses, whether it was linking up with Bruno, trying to find Rashford and uh, Greenwood for those runs. I thought he was instrumental. Really, that that goal from Traore came out of nowhere in the 24th minute. But up to that point, it was all united. Absolutely. That that goal was definitely against the run of play. That was a combination of mistakes made by United, first from Scott McTominay and then from Victor. But bef- before that, United were very positive. They were on the front foot making some fantastic runs and just didn't have their finishing boots on at the time. Once you, uh, Aston Villa got themselves more into the game, you saw what happened. And, and that, I would say, is one of the areas, if you're looking in the offseason, where can we be better? It's, hey, don't go down 1-0 in the first place, so you have to come back and get the three <laughs> points. Those starts that United have, I, I remember, Vivek, when we first started the podcast, we were complaining about how United were so lethargic in the first 10, 15 minutes. And what is Ole saying to get these guys going before the game? And now you've seen a complete, uh, not a complete, you're seeing a change in how they're starting games. We all know how they finish them, but it's how you started as yeah. well. And I think what was surprising about this match was usually we see United start slow, give up the goal, and then turn it on. But this time we saw them start strong, give up the goal, and then the rest of the first half, they really seemed more circumspect. It seemed like they lost their swagger a bit, I thought. Aston Villa really came into the game and it wasn't until the second half that we really saw United start to dictate again. What do you think went behind those struggles? Uh, Was it just Aston Villa feeling more confident, knowing that they had a one goal lead to protect? Or did you feel like, you know, maybe United just lost their way a bit? So I think the reason that happened is United just could not cope with Aston Villa's press. They had a really, really good press from their midfield with John McGinn doing a lot of that pressing. And for some reason, all the United midfielders needed a little bit more time that they weren't given. And they were either rushed into making a decision that was lateral or negative, or they made a mistake. And I think Mm -hmm. that was corrected in the second half where maybe Ole spoke to them about this, but it looked like United just played just a little bit deeper. That meant that Aston Villa had to stretch a little bit more. And they were now wary of this press and they were able to break it because they were now in the right positions. They're closer to each other. They're doing those one-twos, breaking the press. And now they had so much more space to break into. I think that was a crucial difference between the first and the second half. Yeah, and to your point, I, I think if there's anything Ole would have talked to them about, it would have been to stay composed. Because I thought there were a few too many times after the goal, especially where United tried to break away from that press with the longer balls and sort of just leak out. But I thought the second half, it was like there was that belief that, no, we can break you down and we will. And there were a lot. There was a lot more intricate passing. There was a lot more, I'm going to pass the ball and I'm going to move and get into an open spot. Yeah, and, and, and they had a lot more runs in behind as well, which they were playing exactly. in front of the defense. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good point, Vivek. And it was nice to see how involved, how much more involved uh, than usual Aaron Wan Bissaka was as well. We can get into that, but before that, second half, we talked about you know Pogba dictating terms early on before the goal. Fifty second minute, he receives the ball in the box, and Douglas Louise is all over him. 
you would think Louise would have learned his lesson after conceding the penalty in the previous fixture. Here, and I mean, as he's fouling Pogba, I'm saying he's literally asking for a penalty to be called. And it was like, okay, that didn't get called. That didn't get called. And then he goes and snaps at his feet. And there it is, penalty. That was just just one word to describe that was just daft. It was daft. He looked at the replay as well. And all his teammates, none of them were arguing with the call. They're just looking yeah. at him and saying, why? He's going away from goal. He's not doing anything. Why make that challenge? He came in from behind, went through Pogba's leg to get the ball. It was as you know, stonewalled a penalty as you're going to get. No, no complaints from anybody on this one. And Luis know that. Luis knew he's got some egg on his face after that one. <laughs> no doubt. And after that, it was pretty much all united. And another moment of magic from Mason Greenwood. He receives the ball after Anwan Bissaka does some good work to just cut in, then sets him up. Greenwood, very sharp first touch turn on Tyrone Mings to create the space. Boom, left foot into the near corner. Nothing much I thought that Martinez could do about it because from that angle, he's got to watch out for that curling shot to the far corner as well. Even though, you know, that's maybe something we don't associate as much with Greenwood, but I think as a keeper, that's your responsibility. But full marks to Greenwood. I mean, he's just firing on all cylinders, finishing the season pretty much the way he did last season. Absolutely. That was that was a class turn from him. He rolled Tyrone Mings like he wasn't there and put that finish in the corner. Yes, Martinez, he came close to it, but it just wasn't quick enough because he was looking at the far post, like you said, Vivek. I think you definitely have to give credit to Aaron Wan-Bissaka for being able to thread that ball right into Mason. In the past, whenever there are defenders around a player, he's very nervous to try and play that ball in because he's not confident in his own pass. So for him to be able to make that pass is a step in the right direction for us. So that was that was very well played. I but, would add, not only is he nervous to make the pass, he's nervous to even make the run because he's more conscious of having to track back. And yeah. so to make that initial run just to penetrate and attract the defender and then make the pass, I think that itself is a big step. Absolutely. And, and on a side note, I've been thinking this for a long time. I just want to put this on the record. If Tyron Mings starts a game for England, they will get knocked out in the group stages. He is poor. He is <laughs> just bang average and shouldn't. he will get exposed at the international level. If Mason Greenwood, a 19-year-old kid, is able to turn and score against him, can you imagine if he's facing like a, a player of the quality of Cavani every match? He's going he's gonna to get found out instantly. So I just wanted to put that out there. Now, a couple of minutes... Later, Carl, we saw something interesting. United have a corner on the right side. Luke Shaw and Bruno go through a bit of a routine, and Erwan Bissaka was involved as well. Finally, Bruno sends in the cross to Harry Maguire. It looked like a bit of a new routine. What did you make of it? Yeah, United actually had a couple of new routines in that game, Vivek. One, that was one of them. The second one was, I don't know if you saw a couple of times, they crowded the six-yard box where they had at least three or four of our players all underneath Martinez's nose. Now, I think, and I haven't watched Villarreal games to tell you this, I think they're preparing for a Villarreal game. They probably have seen something in the way Villarreal mark corners. Maybe it's something to do with how Emery does it in general and how he did it at Arsenal previously. And they're using these corners in the games as a practice for during that Europa League final 
what they need to do. So they're practicing their routines. They've got two different ones. It looks like the target men are all the big guys. Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay. United kind of showing their hand of who the starting lineup is going to be. Although no surprises, we know <laughs> those two guys <laughs> will probably start there. But that was interesting, Vivek. What do you make of that? Yeah, to your point, I was debating whether it could be preparation for Villarreal or whether it could be that confidence in where they are in the table to where they feel they can experiment with some of these things in matches now that they've been trying out in training. If it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. The stakes aren't quite as high now in the league as they were maybe a month or two ago. So it'll be interesting to see if we see one of those against Villarreal in a few weeks. Now, after uh, those corners, I mean, we did see some of the juggling uh, come into play. We saw Edinson Cavani come on for Mason Greenwood in the 65th minute. We saw Eric Bailly come on for Harry Maguire in the 78th. I mean, we never really see Harry Maguire get subbed off. So, again, it shows you Maguire's intent to probably play every match here. I thought that was a bit of a hint. You know, I was wondering, hey, does Maguire get a full match rest? I think he's going to pull through. He's going to want to keep that sort of perfect Premier League record intact of playing and starting every match. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. Well, it it looked like he came off because he was injured. So I'm actually quite worried because he never wants to leave the field. So the fact that the physio looked like they were working on his shin ankle area after that awkward fall, uh, it has me a little worried. I won't be surprised if he doesn't start against Leicester. Now, finally, we can wrap up with Edinson Cavani's goal. He comes on and straight away you see the movement masterclass as we've come to expect. This time, you know, he does some initial work. Then he's out wide. He's actually waiting to see if the pass will come to him out wide to see if he can tee up someone else. As soon as he sees the ball switch to the other side, he is in a full sprint into the middle of the box. Rashford picks him out with an inch-perfect cross. I know I've criticized Rashford before uh, about his lack of productivity on the right side. That was an inch-perfect cross from the right side to find Cavani. So that's encouraging. And Cavani with his head, I mean, he is as lethal as they come. What a fantastic goal all round. I'm glad you touched upon Rashford's contribution there, Vivek, because in the in the past and in this season, even if you look back just four or five months ago, we were critical of him not being able to get on that assist wagon. And his head's always down. He's looking to shoot, you know, maybe a move here and there. Probably enough rollickings from Cavani. <laughs> None of those passes <laughs> coming to him. You saw that Rashford got the ball. He looked up immediately to see if Cavani's on his bike. Yes, he was. And he put it in the perfect area for him to finish that. So you got to give credit. You're seeing the likes of Rashford and Mason learning through the season, learning from someone as experienced as Cavani. Now, the next step in that journey is when Cavani is not on the pitch, you need to be making those runs yourself so that other people can find you. Yeah, to your point, in the past month, we've seen both Greenwood and Rashford now cross to Cavani for headed goals, right? So, uh, And they both, both those crosses have come from the right side. So uh, real positive to see that. Carl, looking at United's plans going forward, it looks like Anthony Marshall will be fit soon enough. We don't know if he'll be ready for either of these two matches coming up against Leicester or Liverpool. But once he's fit, and maybe even looking beyond that, how do you see him fitting into United's plans? Because I would imagine 
at the very least, United will look to bring back Cavani, if not add a, a Kane or a Holland. And then you've got Rashford so successful on the left. You've got Greenwood so successful on the right. You've got Pogba, <laughs> who's been so effective on the left as well. Where does Marshall fit into all of this? Vivek, I can see why you're a good journalist. You ask all the hard questions, man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been thinking about this one, and I'm hoping that we have something that's very similar to what happened to Luke Shaw this season. We bring in Alex Telles. It starts to motivate Luke Shaw to take his game to another level because he knows if he doesn't, he's sitting on the bench and he's not getting an opportunity because you got this Brazilian guy coming in. Now, Martial has been sitting in the stands working on his injury for the last you know month, two months, and he's watched what's gone on. Let's be honest. He hasn't been missed since he's been off. The goals have been flying in. Mason stepped up. Rashford, even with all his injury problems, is contributing. So when Martial comes back, he, he has to know. Now we know what the template is, the blueprint is. You're not making those runs. We're not scoring goals. It's not on Bruno. It's not on Pogba anymore because we've seen what has happened. So you have to step up your level of intensity. Yes, you have a certain swagger about you. It looks like you're not trying, but that's just how you are. And people have to accept that. But at the same time, you have to show constant improvement. Yes, you're not in your peak years, but part of getting to your peak means you're constantly improving. Rashford's starting to work on that left foot. Mason's starting to work on that assist ratio. What are you going to do, Martial? So that's what I would be looking at. Because if, if he doesn't progress in the right direction, A, he's going to just become a squad player. He's probably not going to be very happy. And he probably won't be at the club very long. So I think the so, ball's in his court. I think that would be my question to you. Do you think he is someone who would be accommodating of a squad rotation role where no. he is the backup to Marcus Rashford? He is the backup to an Edinson Cavani or whoever ends up being United striker next season. You, do you think he would be okay with that role? So the only way I think he might be okay with that role is if Ole says, hey, these guys have done the business. They're going to start. However, you are going to get an opportunity and I will give you a chance. You just got to take it when it comes to you. If Martial says, okay, boss, I'm good with that. And then if Martial gets a run of games, because I think this is important, he can't come for a one in and one out like what happens with Donny van der Beek. He's got to get a run of games, whether it's four or five games. And if after that he hasn't proved himself, he has to know that he's going to get a squad role moving forward. And to answer your question, Vivek, if that does happen, I don't think he's going to be happy and I don't think he'll stay. See, for me, I think just with regard to that run of games, I think he's reached the opposite end of the spectrum where at the start of the season, the, the number nine role, the striker role was his. It was his to lose and he lost it. And so now I think he's going to be put in the position at, at best if, if United don't decide to move on from him and he's content to stay he's going to be put in the position that, frankly, Cavani was at the start of the season, where, hey, if we're looking for a spark off the bench, we need some change, we need to try something different, you're going to get your opportunity. If you can show in those 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it may be, that you can make a difference, do that a few times, then we'll give you a start. And then you make the most of that start, okay, we'll give you another start. But I don't envision any scenario in which 
Cavani is just shoved out the way or Rashford is just shoved out the way or Greenwood is just shoved out the way to give Marshall a run of games and say, hey, it's your role to lose now. I completely agree with you. I think he, he had his opportunity. I think it's also shown that he is better coming off the left-hand side as opposed to playing in that number nine role. So, mm-hmm. you know what? Marcus, he, when he gets his injuries, at the moment, he's having to play all these games because we don't have that depth. There's no Jesse Lingard and there's no Martial. So Martial would, because of a deeper squad, come in and play those games, give Rashford that recovery time. So that's going to be his opportunity. All right, Carl, let's hand out some awards. Let's start with the Cantona Caller, best player on the pitch. I think there are actually a few candidates for this one because Pogba, you know, it's, it's funny. The commentator was saying in the second half, oh, Pogba has been way more influential uh, in the second half. And for me, I'm looking at it and saying that's such a results-based a- uh, analysis because he was he was doing everything in the first half too. It just wasn't leading to goals. Yep. And so for me, he was the standout player, but I would absolutely give a shout out to Luke Shaw. I thought he was excellent. Uh, Harry Maguire was really solid. Uh, anyone else that caught your eye? No, I think you, I think you named all of them, Vivek. I thought uh, Paul Pogba was outstanding. You can see when he's in the mood what kind of player he is. I was actually having a conversation offline on our uh, WhatsApp group about how Paul Pogba, when he's shielding the ball, the only person I could think of who was just like him, if not better, was Yaya Toure. Nobody could ever get the ball off of him. And maybe you could put Patrick Vieira into that category. But, you know, somebody pointed out that in addition to shielding, Paul Pogba has that range. He also has that left foot. So... Maybe a conversation one day could be who's a better player, Paul Pogba or Yaya Toure in their pump. But we, mm. we can save that for another day. But to your point, I think Paul Pogba was my best player. Yeah, we can hand the Canton a caller to him. But Carl, I want to get into a quick conversation about that and about this Paul Pogba when he's in the mood. Because I think we've all been guilty of this, including myself, where we've said and we've seen the Pogba that you know is unhappy at the club and not playing as well. There's, you know, there's sort of this dark cloud hanging over him. But when you look big picture, are we kind of wrong to say when he's in the mood? When, frankly, the big picture kind of shows that this is who he is. And it's more the exception that when things are actually going wrong outside of that, then he's disrupted. Because you think about his years at Juventus. You think about what he's done with France. You think about even his Manchester United career. Outside of that disastrous year with Mourinho and a bit of the struggles that happened early in this season, he's been amazing. I would say that he's been much better for Juventus and France than he has been for United. Now, even if you take out that year with Mourinho, I still don't think he's had the level of consistency that he has shown since he's come back from injury in January. I would say this is the Paul Pogba that United signed. So the one quick thing I would add to that is... Has he been able to play in his preferred position as consistently as we've seen over the past four months? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. He has not. And hence, he is unfortunately being asked to do certain things that's not his strengths. There's a bit of Wayne Rooney here, right? Yes, this is a Wayne Rooney situation. And you, and to your point, Vivek, okay, why has he been so successful for France? Well, you've got N'Golo Kante doing all that defensive midfield work allowing Paul Pogba, when he gets the ball, to spray it at will. He wasn't able to do that uh, when he's played in that DM role. 
And you can see the difference. He he played in that role against Roma during the week. And he was nullified. He wasn't as great as he was in the first leg. So there's a one case in point. You look at when he played in Juventus. He played in a diamond formation. He had the likes of Pirlo and everybody else. But he was allowed to do his thing. It's taken United quite a bit of time to figure that out. And I think one of the main reasons they have been able to figure that out is because of the signing of Bruno Fernandes. All the pressure is not on Paul Pogba anymore. You've got Bruno. Mm -hmm. The opposition has to look at both of these guys now. They can't just double-team one person. So, in a way, Bruno has unlocked Paul Pogba's capacity to succeed. And basically, all I'm trying to say here is, with any quality player, you still have to put them in their best position to succeed. You don't ask Zinedine Zidane to play as a CDM. You don't ask... Uh, you know, Lionel Messi to go play uh, on the left. You, know, you you just don't do those things. And so I think with Paul Pogba, when he's in the best position to succeed, there's no issue. Like, this is who he is. So it's, it's just a question of the club and whoever has him doing that, as opposed to asking him to be a square, square peg in a round hole and then criticizing him for not being w- what someone shouldn't expect him to be. Vivek, you know, unfortunately, the lazy analysis is like, hey, you paid $90 million for a player. He's world-class. He should be able to figure it out for himself. That is a comment you keep hearing over and over again, whether it's from Sky Sports, BT Sports, whoever. And, and that, I think that's the part that's frustrating because as a former player, you also know when you've been put in the wrong position, how that has affected your game. Right? And some of those analysts should know that as well. Back on boot, Carl. I think if there was one player for United you would pick out, it was probably Victor Lindelof. I think we saw several occasions where he was caught wanting. And again, when he's going up against pace, when he's going up against some strength, you really see his weaknesses. And I mean, Ollie Watkins picked up a red card in this match. And I couldn't believe he got a yellow for that second one. I, I thought that was really harsh for c- calling that simulation. Like, if that's called simulation, I mean, there'd be a whole bunch more yellows being handed out. Uh, that was harsh from, from Ollie Watkins. But his overall pressure, you, you look at the way he's able to move. I mean, you were talking about Tyrone Mings and not being able to line up for England. I think Watkins, someone who obviously would be behind a Harry Kane and and you think about some of the other strikers that might be in the mix maybe a Danny Ings with the season that he's had Ollie Watkins his pace his movement his strength I think could serve the England squad very well I I think he's on that plane if I'm being honest he offers something a little bit different and the fact that he has that ability to he understands the press he knows when to press that's crucial when you're trying to win the ball back. And he knows he has that composure to lay it off to a Harry Kane if need be. So uh, he's definitely a good squad player in an international team. You hit the nail on the head there. He works for the team. So much of that press is about what he does for the team. Beckham Boot, for me, is Victor Lindelof. Far too often, when Scott and Fred don't protect him, so if you're looking at the first goal today, Scott made a mistake and gave the ball away. Victor Lindelof isn't able to clean up after them on a regular basis. Yes, he's done it. He's done it before. We've seen him. He's very good at intercepting a ball. However, when he's on his heels and he's running to catch up, 
there was an opportunity where he actually won the ball back from Treor today, and then he mm-hmm. just gave it right back to him. Like you, you cannot do these kinds of things. You've got to have the presence of mind to kick it out into touch, or make sure when you're getting the ball, you get some of the guy as well. So he's off balance, and he can't do what he did. Yes, it was a wonder strike postage stamp goal. But later on in that same game, when Aston Villa brought on two big boys in Wesley and I think it was Davis, yep. he was found wanting again. He was not on goal side. And that guy just brushed him off, was able to lay it off. And then luckily, Aaron Wan-Bissaka had a fantastic block to prevent yep. a shot on target. These things happen way too often. When you're playing in a Champions League, a Champions League quarterfinal, semifinal, you cannot afford to make those kinds of mistakes. And that's where United want to go. That's their next step. And Victor Lindelof has had a whole season, man, where he's had opportunities. So he shouldn't complain if United sign another center back. Couldn't agree more with that. I will give a shout out. I, I agree with you. We can give it to Lindelof for this match. I will give a shout out to Douglas Luiz from an Aston Villa perspective. Because you think about it, they're 1-0. That was not a threatening situation. And you can see why his teammates were so frustrated with him because you know it's going to be an uphill battle once United score. And so to basically just hand United the equalizer, that was a terrible moment for Douglas Louise. And so, you know, from an Aston Villa perspective, I think that's the one that probably stands out. Noisy neighbor, Carl, probably to me, you know, Bertrand Traore, you know, he was a big part of that press, I felt. Uh, And then John McGinn, I thought he was outstanding. Obviously, he was the one that was able to create the problems for Scott McTominay, uh, leading to the first goal. So I don't know if you have anyone else in mind, but I, I'm kind of in a toss-up between those two. And maybe I edge it to Traore because that was such a wonder strike for the goal. So for me, I'll actually go with my 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 pick was John McGinn. The reason for that is I thought that Traore was found wanting defensively. Uh, when he was going up against Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw was able to get the better of him several times because Traore was out of position. He was cheating a little bit. And remember, John McGinn was doing all the dirty work and Ross Barkley had a poor game. So John McGinn was doing double the work. And so for Mm -hmm. him to still be able to win the ball, that's why I wanted to give it to John McGinn. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I guess for me, I was looking at that, that left side for United and I was like, where's Matty Cash? I mean, I thought this was a really perform- poor performance from him. You think about all the right-backs that are in the conversation for England uh, right now. He's probably looking at that and saying, okay, how do I get up to that level? He came nowhere close <laughs> in this match, in my opinion. Uh, so I guess that's where I was maybe cutting Traore a bit of slack. But fair enough. Yeah, we can go with McGinn. Let's move on to the next match coming up in a couple of days. Leicester City. Obviously, they lose... A big one to Newcastle United. A shocker. I mean, to wake up and see that they were down 4-0 at one point, that blew my mind. What are your thoughts going into this match, especially now that United have picked up the three points against Villa? You know what? Just looking at it from a Leicester perspective, Vivek, I'm I'm worried for them. They had to win that Newcastle game, keeping in mind who they're playing with their next three games. Like I could, I could see them taking zero points from their next three games. And I think they have a six-point lead on Liverpool. So if Liverpool win two out of their three games, they could be overtaking Leicester. And I mean, Leicester, this happened to them on the last day of the season, last season. I don't know how they're going to be able to stomach this one. This is probably also going to be a, a another dark spot. 
on uh, a very impressive CV from Brendan Rodgers, right? So mm-hmm. let's not forget about that. So looking at this game, Leicester have to get something. They've probably got their eye on the FA Cup final as well. That's probably what's happening. I could easily see some of these players in the back of their heads. If there's a 50-50 challenge, they're probably being like, hey, you know what? I don't want to get injured because I want to play in that final. So maybe yeah. they're like, you know, letting off the gas just a little bit in the league. And and that just goes to show you how important a player's mental attitude is when it comes to giving 100%. And it's not easy to do that. Carl, let's pick the 11 then. We look at the way Solskjaer operated in this match. I almost do lean towards him saying, hey, let's go get three points here against Leicester and wrap it up. We can. I, I think we can save the big conversation for the end. I do think with Cavani having got the rest in this match, I think he will come in against Leicester City. I think okay. especially going up against uh, Leicester's big boys in the back, I think he will be much needed and he'll be able to pose a real threat. Mm-hmm. Behind him, I think it's Rashford who gets the rest. I think Bruno will be out there. I think that's just who he is. That's his personality. He will want to be out there for this match. I think Mason Greenwood will get the start again. And I'm going to say that Pogba gets a break as well. So I'm going to throw... I was debating who should be on that side. And I'm going to go with a bit of a wild card and say Donny van de Beek gets in. So you got Cavani up top. You got Mason, Bruno, and Donny. Is that what mm-hmm. you're saying it's going to be? So I definitely agree with you on Cavani and Bruno. I do think Marcus will probably be want to be up for that Liverpool game. Hence, yeah. he gets the break. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. The fact that Mason got taken off early in this game suggests that he might be saving his legs. So Mason also will be in here. I would love to see Donny, Donny van de Beek play. I, I hope he does. And I hope Ole uh, gives him that shot. I don't know what's going on with Daniel James. He has missed a couple of games recently he, because he has had an injury. So he would be my other choice if he's fit. Defensive midfield, I assume Matic comes in just to you know maintain the rest. Frankly, he was poor in that FA Cup match. He might be looking to make up for that. Hopefully, he can. But you know the way Indeed he was able to run circles around him in that one, I think that's the biggest question mark that you you have to ask. But I assume he comes in. I don't think Fred and Scott start again. Honestly, it could flip a coin at this point. I'm just going to go for for Scott because I think Fred's played a lot recently. So Scott would be my pick to play alongside Matic. Just I would have loved if at this point if James Gardner was in the squad because he would be <laughs> getting a run of games right now. He's been doing some fantastic things out on loan. Yeah. I'm actually going to go with Fred because I think the same mindset that will apply to Marcus Rashford, in terms of wanting to keep the local boy for the Liverpool fixture, might apply to Scott McTominay as well. Having come through you know, United's youth system, I think Scott will be the one saved for Liverpool, and Fred will grind through the gears once again. Maybe, maybe not for the full 90 minutes, but I think he'll be the one to start. Looking at the back four, I think this is where... Well, the back four and the keeper, I think, is where it now starts to get a bit interesting. And who's your goalie? So, this is where really comes down to which fixture Solskjaer views as more important. Because if Leicester view this as sort of their cup final in the league, then I think David De Gea should play. If Liverpool are on the charge 
for that fourth spot, then I think that's the one David De Gea should play. Now, with the way Leicester have been trending, I could see Dean Henderson getting the start in this one and then David De Gea coming in for the Liverpool fixture. Basically, my point is this. I want David De Gea to play in the more intense match because I think that's the way to get him prepped for that Europa final because I think we both agree that he has to be the keeper for that match. Okay. No, I, I agree with you. So so my back line would be Lindelof and Bailly with each other. I don't think Maguire is going to play. All right. And Tellez, I agree with you, is going to play. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka will play. And then I will. I think I think David De Gea is going to play in net. And, and my reason for saying that is Ole could just be treating this game like a Champions League midweek fixture or Europa midweek fixture where the rotation comes in. And so mm-hmm. this is just part of that same routine. And so that's why I think David De Gea will get the nod in this one. So just to throw a bit of a spanner in the works there and to add to the dilemma, since there's going to be a bit of rotation, we assume, in this match, would it not be better to save David De Gea for the lineup that is more likely to play the final? Because that, in obviously, it's one thing to get him the match practice, but you also want him to get the match practice with the defenders that he's going to be on the pitch with for that final, don't you think? That is a good point. You make a good point. You want to have that that team chemistry going on, especially when it comes to the set pieces. I think, I mean, you that's quite that's quite the conundrum you put me in, Viveka. I would say that because we've got so many fixtures coming up thick and fast, that just getting the game time right now is important, and then closer to the fixture you might see that chemistry come back because like, let, let's be honest. I mean, De Gea has been playing this whole season. The, the chemistry hasn't gone away overnight. So that's what I would say. That's fair enough. I think that just about wraps it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCountSchmanks. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated on behalf of Carl and myself. Thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.